You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 88. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards. And uh, we talked last time about this this streaming thing and, and like where, you know, kind of streaming content was going. And I'd had this in the notes and we just didn't get around to it. But uh, filmmakers have, of course, weighed in on streaming, right? So yeah. you got a chance to look at this. What, what do you think some of the highlights of, of these filmmakers' comments were? Well, uh, there's, there, I mean, so they interviewed, like, they got quotes from lots of people, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Darren Aronofsky, um, lots of very well-regarded art house film directors. Um, and the, the opinion varies widely between them. And you have really pragmatic views, like Aronofsky said, I can't be snobbish about it. I would like people to see it in a theater, but I recognize that people see them in all sorts of ways. And I try to make that experience as good as I can. Um, and then you have people like Tarantino who are just like, nope, don't like it. I don't have Netflix. I don't use it. Don't care. Like completely just unplugged in that regard. Um, and then same thing. Kevin Smith was more on the Aronofsky side. He's like, you'd think I'm like streaming because in our day, dot, dot, dot. But I'm a filmmaker who's happy to watch a film on an iPhone. I just want it to get it. I just want to get it in me. I'm a movie lover at heart, so the quickest, easiest way you can get it to me is A-OK in my book. It doesn't have to be an IMAX screen. That's great sometimes, but I need it in me. I just need the movie in me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you're... Uh your interpretive reading of, of Kevin Smith's aggressive comments on getting <laughs> movies into him. Yeah. But I, I think I'm, I'm kind of happy to hear that so many of these big filmmakers were, were more pragmatic. We're like, yeah, I, my opinion is not all that matters in the world. Sometimes I just want people to buy my stuff and I shouldn't be a jerk about how they buy it. Yeah. But then you got your Tarantinos who are like, no, well, You're doing it wrong. Particularly, I mean, I think Tarantino will recognize that he's an outlier in this regard because he talks about how he still has DVDs and VHSs and like when one of his favorite video stores went out of business, he basically bought their inventory so he could have it <laughs> and just, yeah, I, I don't think he is under an illusion that he expects everyone else to behave this way. I See, I can make my peace with that. I can totally make my peace with someone who's like, Yes, I wish everyone did it my way, but I understand that they don't. And then <laughs> they're like, that's where they stop. I hate, uh, it, and it, this is always gets associated with artists, so I feel bad. But, you know, musicians who are like, no, you have to listen to all music on a hi-fi setup and have, you know, a, an acoustically treated room. Or, no, you have to see it in the dark, in a theater. The ticket has to have cost $15. <laughs> like, it just it just has to. So at least he probably is kind of like, ah, I'm weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a weird guy. What do you expect? <laughs> um, I think the main thing for me is I want everything to be available immediately. I don't want to have to like, because there's good stuff that comes out and you're like, you're going to make me wait like months or years to stream it. Dumb. Don't yeah. Do <laughs> well, and I, I, you know, I sympathize with Kevin Smith's desire to have things uh, shoved deep into him <laughs> in in the way of his choosing, because 
uh, you know, I've said this before. I have a little kid. I'm going to have another little kid. I, if it wasn't for big screens at home and Netflix, like I would see no movies. So my options are a suboptimal, you know, air quotes, viewing experience or no viewing experience. Yeah. Because I'm not a hoity-toity artist type, I'm willing to go with suboptimal over nothing. And I, I, I feel like most people recognize if they're on a plane and they're watching on their phone, they're, they're not like, I'm, this film's not very cinematic. I mean, it's, it's minuscule, therefore it's not a good film. Like, it's more about like, I want to escape from my horrible experience of traveling with something entertaining. And it, it's less about, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm with you. It's not every movie going experience is designed <laughs> to be like, this, this is the Citizen Kane moment. This will change my yeah, life if forever. If you're watching Bridesmaids, it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can watch that on your phone. Take that, whoever made Bridesmaids. I think it was a great comedy. I just think it doesn't suffer the way maybe Lord <laughs> of the Rings does when you watch it in four inches. Which actually, so uh, it was my anniversary today. And because Susan and I are boring old fuddy-duddies, we're like, we're going to go see a movie and Went and saw The Martian, and we actually ended up seeing it in 3D in oh. you know a big. I I like 3D. <laughs> I just don't like how dim it is. It's a bright movie because <laughs> it's a lot of sweeping vistas. He's outside a lot, um, but it, I you know it was cool. Like it, that movie benefited from being in a theater. It's all these big sweeping shots of Mars, and yeah. But would I have just as happily watched it on my my 55 inch screen at home? Yep. <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah. Uh, we also had one of our uh, listeners, Justin, confirmed, uh, along with some testing we did, that DMs on Twitter are, in fact, basically just group messaging now. And yeah. that's cool, but uh, I don't really want another IM client. Yeah. I don't I need already, this. <laughs> I already have Facebook, Hangouts, iMessage, Slack. I think that's it, but that's already four entire platforms. Uh, yeah, let's let's not have five hundred <laughs> kinds of band aids that we need. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I get there are lots of people on Twitter that Twitter is my only communication channel for them. You know, strangers I met at conferences, or oh, that's pretty much it. So people that that's like the yeah. only way <laughs> that I know them, and that's fine, right? That's that's cool that I have that communication channel, but I would never say to like you like oh could you just send that to me on twitter like oh hey mike can you use the least effective c communication channel that you and i have <laughs> to get me that information because i just wouldn't want to yeah. do that yeah when it's your only way it's like all right for a couple messages but then you get to the point of can we like can we find a cafe to hang out at like that's <laughs> higher on my list of ways to converse with you even yeah. if you live in another city and it, it is weird to me that it's totally a successful way to send a box of text to another human being. And yet, for some reason, I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want this. Don't, don't even have this feature. But it's not uh, really surfaced in the GUI. They don't really um, go out of their way to be like, you can DM people on Twitter because they want everything to be public. They want everything to be indexed and discoverable. It's like just barely a click above Instagram message, like direct messages, which would be strange to connect with people. Did you even know that was a thing? <laughs> I did not even know that yeah. was a thing. Well, it was a late edition, so it's one of those like, whoa. Um, I think there's actually a joke about this that um, every app eventually stretches until it includes communication. 
Like every every oh, app yeah. bloats until it includes communication features. Yeah, that's somebody's law. It's like yeah. every app expands until it either includes messaging or chat or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> and I think we see that. Law. Uh, I definitely uh, a Shelby's mom sometimes converses with her through the chat feature of Words with Friends. Oh my! <laughs> okay, and it's uh, she has iMessage. She uses that most of the time, but every once in a while, it's like, well, I was already in the app, so it was just easier to tell you about what Dad was doing today. I don't. I'm sure that I have no idea why that feels so awkward. But part of you is like, <laughs> oh, we're actually having a conversation now. We're not just talking about the game. Can we go to <laughs> yeah. another channel? Can you log into World of Warcraft so I can tell you about my day? <laughs> um, speaking of gaming, uh, actually, no, we have one more Twitter topic. Uh, Twitter, apparently, they haven't announced anything, but the, the there's a lot of smoke on this that they're going to expand on the 140 character limit. We talked briefly about this last episode where I was like, eh, no, please don't do it. Um, but there, there's another a theory about how they might do it that you know, may make me reconsider a bit. So I sent you this tweet, but do you want to explain what this idea is? Yeah, it's uh, so on Daring Fireball, he was um, sharing, uh, is it, I want to say Weiner, but is it Winner, Weiner, Dave Weiner? Dave, I'd say Dave Weiner. Weiner, okay. So uh, he was sharing uh, Dave Weiner's comments about how you could get a, a fat tweet um, where you would basically just type all the text you wanted and then it would only show the first 140 characters. But then if you clicked on it, it would show the rest, which means everyone now has to make their first 140 characters like their hook. But then, oh, here really is the rest of my blog post behind this like expand button. Um, John Gruber didn't really think they would go that way. Uh, his idea was something more like the way you can attach an image now you would just be yeah. able to attach a text post. So it would just be another kind of thing you could attach to a tweet, which depending on how that showed in the preview, I could be okay with any of those options. Um, I still yeah. want the what he called the scrollability of Twitter where I'm not being bombarded with paragraphs of text. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is... Uh, the reason this needs to happen, according to Dave Weiner, is that people don't click links in Twitter. And he links to another article where that's expanded upon with, you did, know, data you from Facebook. Yes, I did. <laughs> but I wasn't in Twitter, so okay. it's okay. I actually do click on a fair amount of links in Twitter, but I understand the point being made that um, when you're asking people to be thrown into a browser, it's it's a bigger ask than just, hey, look at this real quick. And... uh you know, the, this whole, like, you get 140 characters visible, but there's a C more that immediately expands. Um, I think I can live with that. I can also live with that replacing the need to have the stupid screenshots of text that people are attaching to get around the limit. Um, they're basically like, well, I can attach, like, the entire Magna Carta in one image. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why... Human psychology continues to frustrate me with its stupidity because if you click on a link and let's pretend for a minute that the web wasn't horrifically broken and the website you were taken to was not full of ads and other garbage, but clicking on a link and getting a screen full of words, how is that different than clicking on see more or clicking on <laughs> view this image that I've embedded text in because I'm an inconsiderate prick who doesn't care about people with visual acuity issues. Like, 
you still there's one press between you and content, right? And maybe I I mean I I poo poo like oh maybe you know if the web worked correctly maybe that's it maybe that's the whole problem is people don't want to click on a link because they're like oh the verge is going to take forever to load I don't want to that's do exactly that. why so see more with instantaneous expansion of text only content versus hey download our app hey can we have your location hey what about all this stuff before you <laughs> take our survey like uh like you have no idea what's on the other side of a random link especially because shortener well twitter is usually good about expanding that and showing you a preview of what the actual link is but if people are sharing bitly's you just have no idea where <laughs> that's going you're just taking a leap of faith yeah so i mean we'll see what they announce i mean we don't want to make a big deal if they don't do anything it's kind of a waste of conversation but <laughs> i I, I'm open to something that doesn't break my scrollability um, and could potentially get rid of those stupid screenshots of text. Maybe not. Maybe people will still do that because they're dumb, but we'll see. I don't know why that bothers me so much, but man, does it bother. I mean, there is an accessibility <laughs> thing. I don't have that specific issue, and I try not to get offended on other people's behalf, but it's just irritating when I'm going through and I'm like, oh, this person linked to a quote. Oh, it's an image of text. Why would you do that? This is not 1998. Stop linking to images of text. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. But I think the most important thing that's really ever happened. <laughs> I don't want to oversell this. Is that I got a PS4. I got a PS4. Yes. I got a PS4. And uh, in the grand tradition of me buying things at the worst possible time, uh, like <laughs> seven days after I got my PS4, there was a rumor of a price drop, and then two days later, it actually happened. Yep. So for everyone who's about to buy a PS4 for like someone for Christmas or for themselves, you know, with the holiday pricing, you're welcome because I apparently inspired this. They were like, "Oh, David bought a PS4. Now we can drop price." Ha ha. But. Good guy, Best Buy, not a phrase you get to use very often. <laughs> Good guy, Best Buy, uh, actually did a price match. So I got on to their little chat thing. Uh, no, it was a uh, phone with them. I don't know why they don't do text chat. I had to talk to a human being, which was awful. And she was like, oh, I see that you bought it on this date. We did a $50 price drop on this date. Let me get that refund set up for you. I got an email confirmation, so I wasn't just going on her word that she was going to give me back $50, and uh, I got $50 back, so that's awesome, and you should go buy a PS4 if you don't have one. Yeah, so was there like a crazy 10 gig update or any pain setting this thing up? There was one update. I don't know if it was because the PS4 can do comprehensive updates, which is how I've chosen to think about it. But I only had to do one uh, update. I did have to. Well, I'm not see. I'm not totally clear on whether I had to do this or not. But I did it. I got a PlayStation Plus subscription. Yeah. Did I have to do that? No, you don't have to. So you can still do everything without that. Not everything. So you can't play <laughs> online multiplayer without it at all. So they've gone yeah. like the Xbox style, and it it won't back up your save games to the cloud without it. It'll just be local. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's no requirement for playing offline or buying things or whatever. Okay, so the I knew about the the backups, the game backups, and that I'm actually happy to have because I had a PS3 go yellow light of death and lost everything. So that'll be cool. And you get free games like every month. 
Yeah. So even if you only get one game a year that you get a couple of hours of enjoyment out of, like that basically pays for the membership. So the other thing I would tell you that as as a, a Sony owner for a while now, um, ev- uh, if you ever think there's any chance you're going to own a Vita or a v- you know PS TV or you, you already you still have a PS3, um, you can go into the website and claim the free games for the other platforms too because you have to claim them during the month they're offered. Yep. So just always go in and grab those games and then if you ever buy a Vita, you'll have the huge backlog available. Yeah, I actually did exactly that. Not on purpose, but it was the PS4 was updating and I was setting up my PlayStation Plus membership on the website, which was a little bit of a hassle and was not entirely their fault. No, it's kind of a pain in the ass. Well, I there was like a password issue, and then my email was like refusing to take incoming mail for a minute while I was resetting my password. And it all only took about 15 minutes, but for 15 minutes, I was just like F5 in Gmail, like, what is <laughs> happening? Um, but so I was on the website and I saw those Vita and PS3 games and I was like, well, why wouldn't I download these? They're free. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> yeah. So I got, I don't know, in one month, I think total between PS4, PS3 and Vita, there's like six games or something. Like yeah. It's, it's not, in it, that's six games in one month. So if every month I get six free games, that's, that's not bad. Now the catch is um, you have to stay subscribed to keep access to those games unless they cost something if they're just a discount and you spend any number of cents on them then they're yours forever but yeah any free game you have to be a subscriber to play which at fifty dollars a year i don't think is that bad so like of the games that i got in in this inaugural month uh i tried one of them and i was kind of like eh um another one is a little the controls are a little too floaty i'm pretty sure it's built on like the Unity engine, so it's kind of got that <laughs> that floaty jumping. It wasn't trying, was it? No, it was. Uh, uh, it had an art style kind of like trying though that like painting braid kind of look. Yeah, and and it it seems like a cool game, but it's you need to do precision platforming, and you never stop. You you kind of like you land and then so you much sort of inertia, slide. yeah. <laughs> so that that's a little frustrating. But there's another one in there that's like an artsy game called a uh, Grow Home, where you're like a robot trapped on some planet and you have to like grow this like alien plant. And so it's it's all like atmospheric. And I mean, like I said, even if I only get an hour of enjoyment out of one game a month, that still's not a bad return and the cloud yeah. slate the slaves oh my god the cloud <laughs> you just invented the future <laughs> the cloud saves are uh something i'm kind of happy about especially as hopefully a, this is the beginning of the life cycle for the ps4 so play a lot of games get a lot of games saved backed up and then if the worst happens i don't lose everything yeah um, and finally, we do need to talk about uh, my my favorite corner, which is Lions finally plays. I played and beat The Last of Us. Ah, oh, you beat it. I I beat it today, before, like not long before we recorded. <laughs> so, uh, spoiler warnings for anybody who hasn't played this game. Uh, I'm not just going to gush about it. I am going to talk about a few plot points. So. This would be a good opportunity to use that podcast skip 30 seconds button a couple of times if you really don't want spoilers. But, oh, my God, Mike, this game. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I told you. 
Just like the opposite of telling you about the magic mouse <laughs> being horrible. I told you this was good. Well, I, I don't think you can accurately convey the feels. And yeah. I, I mean, that's not your fault. It's not like language failed you. It's just, it's so good. Like there were parts where I was angry. There were parts where I was like crying. There were parts where I was happy and all of them felt like really visceral where I got to the point where I didn't really want to play the game late at night because I was like, this is going to carry over into my sleep. I, oh, man. So, okay. So, the, the ending... So, break it down. What do, what do you yeah, love? So, the, the <laughs> controls, it's a Naughty Dog game, so it plays a lot like uh, Uncharted, and I don't... I wouldn't say it's necessarily good or bad, but unlike Uncharted, it's not constant bullet sponges i think you call them yeah Um, you you know the enemies can be taken down strategically and there's like um almost like a puzzle element to solving battle encounters now i played on easy and uh you get like some more supplies there's fewer enemies the enemies are a little bit easier to kill because i really just wanted the story turns out in the remastered edition uh they added all the dlc from the ps3 edition and one of the DLCs for the PS3 edition added grounded difficulty. Did you know about this? <laughs> yes. Have you played on that? No, I, I've beaten it on hard, but not in anything above that. And even that was a dramatic difference of like, you're used to like getting some little bit of health, some like scissors and, and tape and whatever else there is in the supplies. And on hard, it was immediately like, yeah, almost nothing in the world. <laughs> yeah. So on the grounded difficulty... Uh, enemies are three times as durable as normal. They uh, appear far more often. Item, because uh, they're not really item drops. I mean, there are some, like enemies drop items, but mostly you scavenge stuff. Um, those are reduced to almost nothing. And the HUD goes away. Yeah. So you can't see how much life you have. You can't see how many bullets are left in your gun. And your your superhuman like listening ability, where you can like pinpoint enemies based on the sound they're making yeah that's gone yeah so all of the things that make the game you know playable just (laughs) all like like nope that's not how we're gonna roll that's to me that's a bone thrown to players that just love challenge and like you beat the game on easy normal hard and you're just like man i love this game i wish it was really hard and, uh, you know, you've already memorized all the maps and you just want, like, this ultimate challenge to hold above everyone else you know. And I don't think they intend for 99% of people <laughs> to play Grounded. Yeah. It's just a, a little thing. To- it's kind of like Nintendo's games are usually good about, like, do you want to collect all 5 million red coins? It's there if you want to be that guy. Well, and a difficulty like, you know, oh, items spawn less often, that doesn't really hog up a lot of developer time. So it's not like, oh, you could have done this cool thing if you hadn't wasted all that time on challenge <laughs> mode. Like, that's not a big deal for them to kind of throw that in. And the other thing is, you just kind of made me think about it. A player who's like, oh, I only play on the hardest difficulty. Like, from the first time, from the first time you played, because yeah. if you have every map memorized and you know exactly what each encounter's strategy is, then 
you're kind of coming in with knowledge that Joel doesn't have. Yeah, you're you're a little bit of Batman yeah. in the situation. Because I mean, it, and I was looking on some some forums because as soon as I beat the game, I was like, I need more information about the game. <laughs> and, <laughs> and some people were saying like, oh, well, it's it's dumb for you to have like the superhuman hearing ability, and it's dumb for you to know like exactly how much life you have left. It's like, yeah, but if you've played through the game fifteen times you have knowledge the character doesn't have. So, you know, come on, relax. It's not supposed to be training you for like real life missions of zombie survival. So one of the game design, I don't know if I mentioned this when we talked about it a couple months ago, but um, one of the interesting game design things that was based on the limitations of the PS3 was you're never fighting humans and zombies at the same time. It's always either or. Did you notice that? Um... Yeah, I did, but I didn't think about it as as a limitation. I thought that was it would make sense that humans and zombies would not congregate in the same areas. Well, I mean, you could imagine you're fighting a pack of humans and some zombies break through a wall and there's like this great mixed battle. Um yeah. the, the one the one exception is the DLC has a situation where there's both sort of in the same room and you can uh um did you play through the DLC yet? I the- so I started it when I realized, I was like, oh, okay, the game's over, so now I can play this. And the minute the DLC loaded, because Susan was sitting next to me and we were talking about it, and uh, I was just like, oh, I wonder, is it going to be like different characters? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And then as soon as I saw the the encounter where Joel uh, gets the like rebar through his side, I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to see more of what Ellie did like while he was all screwed up and like infirmed. So, because the part where you play as her is really not very long. Su- yeah. It's super intense. But so when that part started, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- there is a scene where you're you're in some vents and uh, there's some humans in a, a, a shopping mall and there's also zombies and you can cue the zombies and make some noise and then they go and kill the humans for you, basically. Cue the zombies. <laughs> you know, some something else I didn't realize until I got into the game is that I, you know, they call them infected. They're not zombies. They're infected. <laughs> <clears throat> but they are actually different because one of the first zombies I encountered, I choked to death. And yeah. that's because they still, like, need to breathe. They're not magical. Yeah, they're still biologically kind of a living creature. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're humans, basically, who've gone insane. And on easy, you only encounter the super powerful bloater things, like, a handful of times. So most of them are just you know, douchebags trying to like claw your face off. And then there's the (laughs) clickers, which as long as you're only dealing with clickers, clickers aren't really that hard to deal with. It's when there's clickers and like one runner. Because then you're like, oh crap, I can't turn on my light because then the runner will see me. I can't like walk across his field of vision. But with the clickers, you just kind of slowly saunter up to him and then you're like, and you'd shiv him. Yeah. (laughs) Especially once you get upgraded and you can three shiv, three clickers per shiv. Wait, what? Did I miss an upgrade? Maybe. Yeah, eventually you get three stab deaths oh, per shiv. I only got mine up to two. <laughs> See, now I got to replay it. I got a new game plus it. And the other thing I liked was uh, the, the little like shiv locked doors. Always worth it. Yes. I said <laughs> that exact thing. 
I was like, not once have they let me waste a shiv and then been like, ah, there's nothing in there. <laughs> and I think on the harder modes, that's pretty much the only place you get supplies right. is in those rooms, which kind of like makes world sense. Like everything else has been looted except the well-secured stuff. Yes, everything in the world felt <laughs> consistent and like it made sense. There was only one or two times that I ran into something and I was like, well, that was video gamey. <laughs> and that's, I don't think that's not th- so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's like game breaking or, or experience ruining when you have the realization like, yes, I'm in fact playing a video game, but that did not happen very often. The vast majority of the time I was deeply, deeply immersed. Even when I caught myself like narrating out loud to Susan about how cool <laughs> the thing that just happened was. Cause since I played on easy, I had a few like action heroy moments where like I was standing on one side of a door jam and I did the listen thing and I was like, Oh, this idiot is going to run like right in front of me. And then I've got a two by four and he just comes barreling into the room and I just like cave his skull in <laughs> with a two by four. And I'm just like, yeah, die hard. It's <laughs> like, that feels a little, uh, like I'm not really fearing for my life. But then on the flip side, the first time a bloater got a hold of me and he like digs his fingers into your eye as he's like yeah. ripping your jaw away from your head, but they cut away before it actually shows most of that. But it all plays out in your mind, right? The theater of the mind is like, no, nah, we're going to finish that scene. Um, everybody just keep, keep the cameras rolling. And every time I kind of shuddered like, <laughs> God, my face. <laughs> so is there anything that you didn't like about this game? No. Uh, I really, <laughs> I really think this, and I actually don't like horror survival games. Another one of the reasons I played it on easy is because I'm not great at these kinds of games and I wanted to enjoy the story. I didn't want to be frustrated with the gameplay. Uh, I think this honestly may be one of the greatest games I've ever played ever. <laughs> um, I, the second it ended, I took out my phone and while the credits were rolling, because the the ending is so sudden, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the second it ended, I googled for uh, alternate ending and Last of Us Two, and yeah. it looks like Last of Us Two is probably going to happen. Yeah, there's been some like little accidental mentions by voice actors and stuff. You're like, okay, they're working on it. They just yeah. don't have anything to say yet. Yep. And then uh, it, it turns out there is an alternate ending, and. Did you hear about this when this happened? No. So I'm going to link to this in the show notes. I don't want to spoil it because... Oh, wait. The, is it more like unreleased ending? Yeah. Yeah, with the motion capture and they did like a single pass. Don't don't yeah. spoil it. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So I'll link to this in the show notes. Um, it, it's... Uh, I guess people had really hammered the designers at Naughty Dog. like Because the ending is so specific they were like is that really the way you always meant to end it and they were like well we did have this one other ending that we considered and then they they kind of tease it and they talk about the ending and why they went with that ending and then they show this alternate ending that they recorded with the motion capture actors and it's something else like it's (laughs) it's it's the video is like five minutes it'll be in the show notes you should go watch it even if you haven't played last of us you can get all the context you need from this little video. But let's talk about the ending. Um, I was surprisingly satisfied with it, but I was still, uh, 
I kind of like reaching out to shake my TV and be like, what, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> Surely there's more. So the, yeah. the end of the game, just again, quick spoiler for everybody is, uh, you know, Ellie is the, the magical person who can't get infected. So they're trying to make a cure out of her blood. And of course it's not that simple to make the cure. They have to kill her because yeah. the infection grows in the brain, which is why people go crazy when they get infected. And Joel decides, fuck that and he goes in and saves her and then as they are like running to freedom uh he's unusually chatty for him and she kind of stops and corners him and says so promise or she says swear to me that everything you told me about the fireflies meaning they're not really looking for a cure there are other people who are immune swear to me that that's true and he just goes I swear and credits. Yeah. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> I mean, context, she was unconscious the whole rescue so that she doesn't know what happened. And so it's just all on his word. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the, the, the strength of the story kind of lives or dies on a few things. It's number one, if you believe their relationship grew the way it did throughout their journey, that he is, you know, not exactly replaced his daughter, but has grown to love Ellie so much that he cannot let her go. So yeah. decides to kill her. Like, and I think it believably gets that across because they give you the full, like, you know, with any hero, you know, the, the cliche is the reluctant hero. You need to see them refuse to do something for a while <laughs> so that as they change their mind, you get to see that transformation. So, you know, he, he pretty much wants nothing to do with her at first. And by the end of the journey is killing other people for her. Um, <laughs> And the other tension that is, you know, if you think it was successful is what they did really well in the game is, does she believe him at the end? I, I, and that's the thing is they don't show her reaction. They don't show, there's no like long pause after he says, I swear. And she's like, I believe you, Joel. Like it's, <laughs> it's very, he basically lies to her and then credits and it's left completely ambiguous you know, does she believe him? Does, is he ever going to like be overwhelmed with guilt and tell her the truth? You know, it's just, there's so much ambiguity. And if you search for articles about last of us, like half of them are about whether the ambiguity is acceptable or not, whether it warrants (laughs) a sequel or not. You know, a lot of people said, no, the ending is perfect. The way it is. We don't need a continuation of this story. And I, I, it's such a good universe. Like I want more stories from this universe, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, I don't, do I want to risk spoiling the story? So if they do a sequel to last of us and it seems like they are, um, here's what I really hope is I really hope Joel and Ellie's story is over. I do not want them to be the main characters at all. Um, unless, unless you're going to cover the 20 years in between his daughters, like you're going to go closer to the outbreak or something, but then you're really talking about Joel. Um, but what I hope is instead, it's more like the way the Fargo TV series has gone, which is completely new characters, same universe, same, you know, timeline, but completely new characters, different stories. It seems like this universe is rich enough that they could find a totally different journeys to talk about. Yeah, I mean, they definitely could. There's definitely more stories to be told. Like, what what's Tess's deal, and what are these other people doing, and what's Tommy get up to? But I 
I kind of would like to see because Ellie is so young. She's only 14 at the end of the story. I, I'd kind of like to see the continuation of her story. So, you know, what does she go on and do now that she doesn't think she's like the last best hope for humanity? And, you know, Joel is older. He presumably would eventually succumb to some injury or just to old age. So I think you could continue the story with her as the main character and not have it still be like, you know, Joel escorting her to some identical story from the first game. (laughs) That would seem like a complete waste of a sequel is like... Joel, same thing, same gameplay motifs, and yeah, why, why? Um, but no, you, you're kind of convincing me. If they, you know, jump ten years in the future, Joel is dying or retired or you know found a safe place, and he's just not really part of the action. Maybe they give a nod to him existing, but it's really twenty something Ellie, complete badass, yep. and you're her. I could live and with that. There was another design thing that. Uh, it's it's not like really a restriction of of the hardware but it's a restriction of storytelling um one of the few times like i said i noticed like hey i'm playing a video game there were a couple times where you went through a door or you jumped off of a small like you know ledge or off of a truck or something onto the lower ground and i was really aware that i could not go back the way i had just come it was like, yeah. I'm really not expected to ever backtrack for any reason ever because the character wouldn't do that. The character would not just aimlessly wander around in circles looking for duct tape. <laughs> you know, they would, they're, they're on a mission with an objective. They would press forward. So most of the times they did a pretty good job of cloaking that little like, oh, I can't go back anymore. But there were a couple times I was like, huh. That truck is exactly too high for me to climb back up the way I just came. <laughs> so those are also almost always the moments where it switches from humans to infected or vice yeah. versa. Which, and again, that like shift in action and you have something you have to do because there's monsters, you know, human or otherwise that you have to deal with. And uh, that kind of prevents you from focusing on the like, oh, look, the truck is eight feet tall and I can only climb a seven foot object because you're being attacked by (laughs) monsters. So there's one other scene I have to ask you about, which is um, when Joel survives an elevator crash down into the basement (laughs) of a hotel and you have to move around and find an ID card and then turn a generator on. Did What did you make of this so, section of the game? So I had to do that encounter a couple times. Most of the encounters I got through the first time because I played on easy, and I didn't have to be overly whiny about, like, oh, I used more supplies than I wanted to in that encounter. I should play it again. Like, most of the time I was just like, that was fine, like, I fired more bullets than I needed to, or I used two Molotov cocktails when I could have used one, but whatever. But in that encounter, um, I don't know if it was something I did or if it was done intentionally, but uh, there were no infected in the room where I was pulling the generator, and one came up behind me while I was doing the little like button time event, and it scared <laughs> the living <laughs> crap out of me. Because this is a zombie horror survival game, and yet there are, like, almost no jump scares. There's no, like, cliche BS just to, like, keep you on the edge of your sheet. Oh, God, I cannot speak right now. The edge (laughs) of your seat. But this, this one time, I was, like, 
damn near throwing the controller out of my hands like oh my god like i completely yeah. lost control of my faculties for a minute and then so i put that one down and then like i go hide in a corner with like my shotgun drawn out in front of me and there's no other ones so then i get the generator started and then a bunch of them of course i knew they were going to pour in but i yeah. was i'm not a great shot so <laughs> Like I, even though I knew they were coming, it's the way they move is kind of scary. And like, I wasn't totally prepared for it. And they throw a bloater in there too. Not on easy. Oh. Yeah. You don't encounter the first bloater till fairly far into the game. Uh, it's in the, it's in the, the gym school? at the school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you might have just not seen it if you ran away, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure on every mode. So there. this is another thing. Um, a big difference between easy and, and later difficulties is uh, I never, ever, not even once, left anyone alive. <laughs> <laughs> no encounter ended with me being oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to just sneak past these guys and then I can get through. Because if everyone's dead, you can loot the room. Yeah, and thankfully this is not a game that has any infinite respawning yeah, bad guys or you know there's there's none of that crap. It's a very set challenge, and I really appreciated that too. Like you you weren't punished for thinking you could yeah. kill everyone. And and I also <laughs> another little video gamey thing that I appreciated as a player is the characters know when they're safe. So like if you are if there's seven humans you have to kill and all seven of them are dead because you chose to fight instead of sneak past when they're all dead they say like oh, I guess that's the last of them or like I th I think we're safe now <laughs> and like their posture changes like they stand up straight yeah they relax and I was like that's really useful because the the designers know I now want to run around looking for duct tape <laughs> like we have come to the duct tape scavenging portion of the game and. I wouldn't play on easy if that's not what I wanted. So like they're giving me the kind of experience I wanted just like on hard or, you know, survivor or grounded. I'm not planning to look for every single thing. Stealth is my objective. So you get that freedom where you can like sneak through a room and you lock the door behind you. And now the enemies behind you are done. Like that encounter is done even though they're alive. Yeah. So yeah, that, that encounter with the, the only thing that bugged me about the, the elevator thing is like two or three cables snap all at once. And I remember reading somewhere one time that the redundancies on an elevator are such that each cable is capable of holding up the entire weight of the elevator. So when it snapped, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I believe that would have happened, <laughs> but then you kind of have to get over it because zombies. Yeah. So that ba I, I like you would pretty much just kill everyone <laughs> for so I could very calmly loot every single corner, which me and Shelby always joke about his arm motions when he's gathering. Just like <laughs> I loved that because if there's a bunch yeah. of stuff, you can just quickly keep tapping triangle and then he actually reaches in the direction of each item. That was so cool. Generally. In the well, direction. generally. <laughs> he, he makes an effort. But that basement, that cellar of the hotel was definitely a scene where... Um, at least after the first playthrough, I, I just ran straight for the door. I'm just like, nope. And, <laughs> nope, uh, nope, 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 nope. Um, to the point where, like, you know, I knew something was going to happen. When I pull this generator, all hell is going to break loose. And uh, 
it inspired fright in me the way few games really can anymore. I mean, yeah. the original Silent Hill can kind of fill you with that dread. Also, because the controls are so terrible that you feel afraid because <laughs> you can't fight properly. But um, in this game where you can fight properly, it's still stressful and in a good way, in a thrilling game way. Well, I went in that scene when I had to replay it. I was like, oh, okay. So there's these two doors that they can come in through this third door. They can't come from that direction. So uh, I kind of went like full crazy apocalypse survivalist. And I put um, the, the the nail bombs yeah. at each door. And then uh, I had my shotgun ready and and. I think probably the pistols, your other Man, primary that weapon shotgun at that point. is so nice once you get it upgraded. Oh, yes. So I, you know, I pulled the generator and no one snuck up on me while I was pulling the generator that time. So that was nice. But I pulled the generator, I get it going, and then I went and like hid in a corner. And because they're going to come to the sound of the generator and it's a small room. So like they start flooding in and the bombs are going off and they're dying. And then like two or three actually made it into the room after the the traps and i just very calmly put them down with my <laughs> shotgun and then like joel's posture noticeably straightens up and i was like now i can walk out of here <laughs> i was just like I just, like i can't let them overrun me again my my heart can't take it yeah uh, now see now i just want to like stop recording and go play the expansion although uh they did something with the expansion that the batman games got wrong the expansion for Last of Us, uh, which I think is called Left Behind, yeah. um, you still get to choose the difficulty. In Arkham City, uh, I started to play through the expansion, but there's no difficulty. It's just like the neutral, normal difficulty. And after playing through the whole game on easy, the <laughs> bad guys beat the crap out of me. I mean, just beat me senseless. So yeah. I didn't play all the way through that. I will would play all the way through this. Yeah, and then you'll get to Arkham Knight. Oh man, <laughs> I don't. Know. It's going to be weird to go from like, oh, everybody's trying to. Keep, maybe Metal Gear Solid is a better intermediary because stealth is still involved. Whereas, like in Arkham Knight, you're just like super warrior. <laughs> stealth helps you out a lot though, because the guys get guns pretty quickly, and fighting guys in open combat with guns sucks. But don't you Batman. have a tank? Not everywhere, but surprisingly <laughs> large number of places, yes. Um, now there's, you go into buildings and stuff. All right. Anything else to say about The Last of Us? Just that I'm glad you finally got to it. Um, I'm glad you saw the truth that it was a great game. <laughs> I can, you know, I normally don't immediately say I'm going to replay this game, but I kind of want to immediately replay this I've game. I've played it at least eight times all the way through. <laughs> I've, I, I don't think there's another game I can say that about that isn't like Super Nintendo or earlier where the games are short enough to do that. Yep. Um, maybe some Final Fantasies as far as long games go, but man, that's in the modern era, I've never played a game so many times. And I do sort of want to see what it's like to start the game with all my upgrades. Just yeah. be like, I am your god now. <laughs> Especially the shiv ones. Those ones are just crucial. See, and I really, I felt like I kind of tore the entire world apart. I sort of want to look on a game fact for where I missed that manual. Because I really felt like I did a pretty good job scavenging. I got all the tools. Yeah. 
I'm, I got a crap ton of Firefly pendants and uh, comic books, but I missed my sh- my Shiv manual. <laughs> Tell me about algorithms replacing the task of designers. Yeah, so I was going a completely different direction after cushioning about <laughs> oh, the game. Oh, that's right. We have other topics. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an article on Medium from Dan Saffer, or Safer. I don't know how he says his name. Um, and he's basically looking to the future and seeing that computers are going to help us design interfaces. They already do in the ter- in, in the sense that we use you know uh, Sketch or Adobe's tools when we design stuff. But um, he's more thinking algorithmically. Computers will suggest UIs, or that they will provide a bunch of options that designers start from and uh, shortcut themselves to. Um, you know whether it's a mobile app or a website or, or anything, and. Uh, he sees that this, you know, you want as a designer, as someone who cares about that discipline or, um, you know, sees their career as being involved with this stuff, um, it can be frightening to see the automation train coming for you. And uh, this article basically discusses, yeah, this train is coming and what are we going to do as a profession? Um, you know, how does our profession change? And so I just thought that was really interesting and, uh, for him, the canary in the coal mine, you know, since apparently computers helping us is a disease or some poisonous <laughs> gas coming for your profession. But um, he was pointing to Autodesk Project Dreamcatcher, um, which uh, industrial designers use to, you know, gather samples or an algorithm like take some sort of input. Like, what are you trying to make? What are you doing? And uh, suggest a whole bunch of designs and then smart people have that jumping off point to, to move faster. And, uh, you know, why, you know, it seems really plausible to me that web design, mobile apps, all this stuff, you know, you're making a list app. We really don't need to hire a $100,000 a year graphic designer <laughs> when you're listing things. Um, this is pretty, I mean, that's a bad example because the, you know, material design or, or iOS are pretty much heavy covered there. But, um, I just thought it was an interesting question is what, what is the job of a designer if uh, automation is able to take over something like UI design? I mean, my, my gut reaction is there will always be new things that the algorithm will suck at until we've like normalized it, right? The reason we know what basically good design for a website looks like is because we've been hammering on that idea nonstop in massive quantities for like two decades. So we've, we've sussed out a lot of the bad, bad, bad ideas and everyone's agreed that they're bad ideas. And you just tell the algorithm, don't ever do this. This we've all agreed that this sucks. But then if you're building something new, uh, whether it's a, a digital thing or a physical thing, if it's never been done before, or if it's different in a significant way, or there's, uh, I don't know, say say you were building like a, a teapot and it's really, really, cr- I mean, teapots exist, but I'm just, I'm digging for an example. <laughs> so, you you know, you're, you're building this thing, teapots have never existed before and it's really important that the spout be at like a certain height so that you can pour out the liquid at like a certain speed. Like there, there wouldn't be a good way to compare this to like a drinking glass, which also holds liquid because they serve really different functions teapot's got a lid on it and a spout and a handle it needs a handle where glass doesn't because a glass typically has like a tepid liquid in it so there are things that for the first time or if you have like specific needs um you wouldn't really be able to do algorithmically and then i think the goal of a designer would be can i 
suss out all of the important stuff? Can I get all of the, the, we need to have these details. These details are, are more up for debate. And then can we make that into an algorithm? And then some stuff, if you're not going to build a hundred million different versions of it, you probably wouldn't waste the time automating, right? Yeah. So some designer stuff is just going to be because you're not going to automate it. Yeah. I also think in terms of like, there, there's big broad strokes of infrastructure that kind of get figured out and we don't need to spend specialized resources on. Like we figured out handrails and ramps and doors and we can just mass produce that stuff because we have designs that work really well. Um, doorknobs that work really well and not every doorknob needs to be a unique butterfly. <laughs> um, but then once you get down into specific implementations, you still need smart people to strategize over what you're trying to do. So we, we, you know, we know how to build walls and floors and doors and windows and all this stuff that we don't need designers to invent every single time you create a building. But what is this company doing? What are they trying to accomplish? How should this building be set up? That's still creative work to me. And, uh, I I don't see how that wouldn't still be, um, if design is, you know, design isn't just aesthetics, isn't just style to me, it's problem solving. It's, it's usability, it's efficiency, it's all these things too. And so I don't, I don't see that creative problem solving going away, even if computers get really good at some of the building blocks of it. Yeah. And I, I don't want to play the, the total devil's advocate card, but on the side of all designers do is make things pretty. There is still a role there for humans because if, what your customer is caring about is how it looks and how does it make you feel? (laughs) Like I think humans play a role there, not because computers can't necessarily solve that need eventually, but we just really like other humans. So, (laughs) you know, if I'm Sam doing some landscaping, could landscaping be done programmatically? Yeah, probably. Most houses are shaped similarly. Most yards are made up of the same material, but if I got a design from an algorithm and then I'm looking at it and I'm just like, eh, it it's good. I, I like it. Yeah, th- this is pretty good. Like a human being would say like, oh, well, it sounds like you're a little unsure. Which features are you maybe not in love with? And then kind of have like that more back and forth. You know, if you're doing like interior design or clothing design or makeup or an art piece or music piece, like you can pick up on those little cues when someone responds and they're not just it's not a binary like, yes, accept this design or no, I don't like this design. So there's a little bit more back and forth and a human can probably do those discussions a lot easier with a client than software could. Yeah. So I, I I think this is a little bit alarmist. Um, but I, I do think it's really interesting that, you know, you'd be able to say, Hey, this is a social app. It's really focused on, communication and can you spit me out some different ideas computer for how an app like that could be set up and maybe even you could feed it like here's facebook and here's twitter and here's this other weird you know yak or whatever you know some other (laughs) um, extra yap app um and then just like you know what are some possibilities based on what all these other apps have done and if there was a programmatic way to generate ideas that i mean that's cool i mean 
I feel like people do that with other art forms. You know, to, I mean, design isn't just an art; it's also a, a science to me. But um, even just actual art forms, like we we like getting stuff spit out musically from computers, and then maybe a human takes it and does something with it. I mean, wouldn't you say any of this stuff until it's magically perfect AI that totally simulates all of the taste and nuance of a human? <laughs> like, isn't most of this stuff? Uh, hacking away at the the bottom of the need chain. So uh, let's use like Squarespace as an example. <clears throat> There's a lot of flexibility in a Squarespace site, and that's cool, but unless you really dig into the raw code, you have limitations because it's they they won't let you do things that make your site look like garbage. The whole point yeah. is to make your site look good. So that means they have their opinion on what looks good. But is that really cutting into the high-end multi-million dollar business website business no it's cutting into the geocities business you know <laughs> where like uh some mom and pop shop wants like a, a website for their pet grooming business or somebody wants to make a, a memorial for their dog or somebody wants to sell you know yeah coffee mugs but they don't want to use etsy like that person doesn't need a hundred thousand dollar design firm behind their website exactly so I feel like a lot of this algorithmic stuff cuts into the lower end margin. So like we were talking about how camera phones are awesome, but they don't cut into the high end photography market. They cut into the point and shoot. Like I no longer as a regular citizen need to carry a camera because I have a camera. Yeah. It just happens to also be my, my mobile phone. So I, I could see this kind of thing being threatening to some people, but typically anyone who's threatened by automation they either don't see how they still play a role or they realize like, yes, I am replaceable and I am not happy about it. I've heard this come up a lot with, uh, the coffee robots. Have you ever seen people freak out about this? No. Like, Oh, well, if there's a, there's a machine that makes a coffee in a coffee shop, then you're not going to get the human touch of going into a cafe and chatting with another human being. It's like, okay, you realize you're solving two different problems, right? There's the I want a cup of coffee problem, and there's the I want to have a conversation problem. And right now, you've been able to solve those two problems yeah. with like one interaction. Those are correlated right now, but they are not <laughs> exactly. causally connected. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a barista and you're like, oh, I'm going to get replaced by a robot, it's like, yeah, probably. But do you really want to make coffee for the rest of your life? <laughs> and if you're a customer, like a patron of cafes and you're like, Oh, there'll be no one to talk to. And it's like, well, there'll be other patrons of the cafe. <laughs> Human beings aren't going away. It's just maybe baristas might get replaced. I just want to hire someone to talk to me. <laughs> I a new fiver. I will talk to you. For five bucks. Uber for friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, I mean, you're you're getting into it. I mean, you've always done design stuff, but you're like kind of branching into a design career. Like, do you find this kind of thing threatening at all? Or are you like, oh, I've made a huge mistake? <laughs> Not at all, because I mean... For for when I'm starting, on, I'm very much on the creative end of it, which is not what these algorithms are about. They're about creating apps or you know usable websites. And that to me is not really the heart of what I want to get into as much. Um, so on that level, I'm not threatened. Like if, if you need an illustrator or an animator to do creatively 
communicate something, that's not going to be algorithmed away. Um, you're going to need a human that bounces ideas and develops something and, and creates something um, for probably for far longer than uh, this this kind of other design work might get replaced. Yeah, I, I've always thought the idea of, um, well, surely motive, uh, automation will not come in in my career. <laughs> like, not it'll never happen, just it won't happen in a time that I need to care about, which is probably how a lot of these things end up happening at all because they sort of slot in as like the older crowd is leaving that career yeah. and the newer crowd is just coming in. So they're more susceptible to like, Hey, look, we automated part of your job and you don't have to freak out about it. Cause you're brand new to this sector. You're only 24, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. But then the guy who's 50 and he's got his entire pension sewed up in this one company is like, please don't replace me. Can you just wait like another decade and then I'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. Be fine. I think the other reason it doesn't worry me is because I'm, a very curious person. I love trying everything I can get my hands on. I, I don't think I will struggle to adapt to new kinds of environments. Like, um, I, I would probably, I, I already faced the problem of like, I like too many things. I'm always trying to do too many things <laughs> that, um, I don't think I'll have a shortage of like, what can I be useful for if one branch of design gets well automated? Um, so I, I guess, I'm not feeling a shortage of the kinds of things I like to do at this point. Yeah, it's, uh, it, there's probably some crappy, like, position of privilege yeah. behind this, <laughs> this statement, but a lot of people who say they're not afraid of automation are like, I'll find something else to do. <laughs> yeah. And then other people say like, oh, but you're, you're getting that person out of a job and, like, well, if this is literally the only thing they were capable of doing, like if you're George Jetson and the only thing you can do is push a button and if we build a robot that pushes the button for you and you now have nothing to contribute to society, like <laughs> that's problematic. You need to, if our education system and our job training systems, whatever, you know, internships or college or whatever they are, if our society is training people who are so rigid and inflexible yeah that the idea of their job being automated, freeing them up to do something else is a threat and not an exciting prospect. That is a whole other problem. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's what us educators call lifelong learning or, uh, <laughs> having a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset of I am this thing versus I'm always growing and trying new things. I guess this isn't really any different than what we see with, uh, incumbent businesses so if you are uh, Blockbuster Video and then Netflix comes around, only this what do you location do? is shutting down. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> Six months later, just tumbleweeds. <laughs> Looks like The Last of Us. Like every Blockbuster is just run down. Um, but yeah, if, if you're a Blockbuster and you hear about this upstart Netflix, a the smart money would say like. We need to immediately identify whether or not this is a legitimate threat. And if it is, we need to torpedo them with our superior brand power and resources. But that's never what happens. Yeah. Because institutional inertia and because change is hard and because the machine is already. Yeah. The the machine is already designed to do one thing and and changing courses can be difficult. But, you know, the, the companies that survive, like if GE still only made 
like nickel light bulbs or tungsten light bulbs, they, they would have been supplanted a long time ago, but they don't. They make all kinds of electronic stuff and they're like the largest conglomerate. Well, and even their recent branding campaign is all about like, do you even know what we do anymore? We actually do all <laughs> kinds of wild stuff. And there's like young hip programmers like I work for GE. I just, I'm, I'm imagining now the, the little cursive GE logo and then it gets replaced by like two lowercase sans serif letters. And it's like GE, you don't even know. <laughs> This is I like this new uh, this new direction for GE. It's going to be good. So terrible marketing campaigns aside, any any last thoughts on automated design? No, I think that's good for now. I'm sure we'll be returning to that as as stuff develops. <laughs> this story developing. <laughs> All right, so you can find the show notes for this episode as always at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash eighty eight. Which I'm I'm dude, we're we're getting close to ninety. I'm excited. I'm a little excited. <laughs> you can always find me and Mike online uh, easy, most easily on Twitter. You can find me at Lines and Beta and Mike, you are at Medwards Music. And if you like the show, you should you should probably just go ahead and subscribe. If you haven't already subscribed, it's the easiest way to make sure you get new episodes hand delivered by uh, Portland hipsters in flannel shirts directly to your mobile smart device every single week. Uh, I'm still using Pocket Casts, although... I have now installed Overcast because it's free, but I have not done anything (laughs) with it yet. But the icon looks lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, I mean, it was designed by a human, so. See, there you go. If an algorithm had done it, I wouldn't feel anything. Um, But yeah, go ahead, subscribe. You get the show notes right in your podcatcher. Everything shows up automatically. It's the easiest way to keep up with the show or any of our shows. Um, If you really love what we're doing, you can go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. That helps other people find the show. It's an easy way for you to help get the word out about flipping tables. And if you want to go all the way, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot, where you can support us. Every dollar there really helps. And depending on the level you support at, you may even get your name called out at the end of each show. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Longo. We love you guys. We could not do it without you. Yes. See you next week. (laughs) 